Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. We put um, labels on things all the time, do we not? So people look, ooh, what kind of purse do you have? What kind of shoes do you have? Um, I do, honestly, um, 95% of the time shop at Goodwill because why pay full price for something when you get a deal, ladies, right? Represent, right? And, And our husbands say amen, right? Yes. But we label people, oh, you know, they're the ones that have a coach purse or, um, we label them by what they dress like, um, by their friends, by their, what occupation they have. Are you a blue collar? Are you a white collar? I am personally a polka dot collar. I don't know what they are. Um, by the size of your family. We've got like six kid families. We've got, you know, one kid families. We've got people who are, are boldly single. And, you know, we, we label people by that. But sadly, we label people by their past as well. Right? We judge them by things that they've done. We judge them by things that they haven't done, that maybe they should have done. We point fingers. We quickly take a look at somebody, and your gut instinct will label them, whether you know that you are or not. Um, There's a story in the Bible found, and you can look it up in John 8, verses 1 to 11. So those of you who have a handy-dandy cell phone, um, you can look it up there, or I do have it up here. John 8, verse 1. So Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. She, or they had made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him to see whether he would be with the law or not. <coughs> but, when, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin to be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left. The woman was still standing there, or with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, declares, or Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. So basically, Jesus said this, don't label people unless you want to be labeled yourself. He was, this is a story that speaks of forgiveness and compassion. Jesus, the God of grace and mercy. And he's saying to you, and he's saying to us, that don't label people. He's a God of forgiveness. Why don't you try forgiveness first? But that's not what this message is about, actually. It's funny because many of you actually do this very well. You have so much grace. You have so much forgiveness. 
You have so much love and compassion and mercy. And all we've heard this morning is your mercies are new every morning. And we're like, yes, they are. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. But <coughs> somehow, actually it says, Matthew 7, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brothers, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First of all, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly and be able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Um, I asked Mark to get me a plank. <laughs> You're just... Thank you, Mark. You're awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's some people who walk around and they're, you know, they're labeling and they're judging, um, and they've got like this massive plank in their eye, and they're like, "Look at you, you sinner!" And the other person's like, "Really? Look at yourself. Like, do you not see this?" But then <laughs> there's the rest of of you, beautiful saints. Who are like, oh, you're forgiven. You were forgiven. God has grace for you. You know, God has grace for you. But then you walk around going, look at this. Look at this plague in my eye. You're like, I got it and I can't get it out. I can't even literally get my arm around it to pull it out. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm a sinner. I am unworthy. I am, I am like spent. There's nothing left but this plague and me. And sometimes that's what we actually do. Right? We say, you are forgiven. God has grace for you, but God doesn't have grace for me. My plank is too big. I can't possibly, he, he can't possibly get this out. I'm ruined. There's nothing left for me but to walk around and to coddle this, this and to pretend and to hide. You know what? Actually, if I go outside, um, they're going to see it, so maybe I should just stay home. If I go outside, they're, they're going to judge me, so maybe I should just hide. And we sit in the back row of church, and there's nothing wrong with the back row of church people. But if you're hiding, <laughs> if you're hiding, there is. Um, we hide, um, you know, we hide in the nursery, moms. This is for some of you, because you're like, wow, I'm a mess. I, I just postpartum, or, or like, like this is overwhelming. I just don't even know how to deal. I'm just gonna hide in the nursery. I'm just, I can't see people today. That's where I was at. But we hide and we don't want to, to be seen because they'll see this. And we have grace for everybody else, but God can't deal and can't help us. That's really heavy. <laughs> Do you know who truly is the person who labels us? Do you think it's other people? It's actually Satan. I'll get there, though. It's actually Satan, because if he, he's going to lie to you and lie to you and lie to you and lie to you and tell you how horrible and used up and, and you just can't get past your past, and he's going to keep you frozen. And when we believe his lies, because that's actually the only power that Satan has, he cannot wreak destruction on you. I love my son. We were sitting and we were doing our devotions this, um, this week in bed and we found a new little devotion book. And I don't remember what it said. And, um, and somehow just a profound moment. It didn't even say this and I don't even know how this came out of my mouth. But I said, 
It said something in regards to, you know, God created, um, you know, everything. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, God created Satan too. So Satan, I can't actually hurt you. And he looked at me and he's like, I get that. Oh my goodness, Satan can't do anything to me. He, he can't touch me because God made him, so God's more powerful, right? And is that not true? The only way that he can have access to you is if he gets you to believe his lies. And then when he gets you to believe his lies, it's like we have like opened up the door and said, come on in, Satan, rape destruction, right? Um, I wasn't actually planning on going here, but for the women in the room, I just, I don't even know why I feel like saying this. Um, some of you are so new that you don't know my story, and I'm not going to share it, but share it all. But um, when I um, was having babies, I um, woke up in the middle of the night, just like a couple months, and I was starting to have some postpartum. And I literally sat up and I heard verbally, you are going to die. And from that moment on, I went, I'm going to die. Because Satan started throwing everything that I had ever done in my life. And there were a few things in particular that he probably had the right to throw at me. And I was like, Satan's got access. He's going to kill me. And from that moment, I guess what ended up happening? My body broke down. And like, I believed it. So my body started rejecting itself. And, and everything actually, like a naturopath and a doctor on the same day told me they, th they thought that I had stage four leukemia. And so I would just lay on the floor in the, in the middle of the living room and I would just say, God, I won't watch TV anymore if you just let me live. And I just praised and I worshiped. And if I literally got out of the presence of God, it was just so loud that I couldn't hear anything else and I couldn't function. And I, the, the only reason why it had access was because I believed it. If in that moment I had listened to that and said, I rebuke you, Satan, that is not true, then I would not have had any symptoms after that. But because I woke up and then he quickly said this, 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 and this, and this is the reason why, I went, you're right. Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. And that's what Satan is. He is very crafty. He knows you very well. He knows everything that you have ever done. Try getting up and leading worship when Satan's like, oh, Papa, this is what you've done. But there's, you know what? There's many of you that God is wanting to use, and you are being stopped by what Satan is lying at you. And he is throwing things at you. And, and you are just like, by the time you like take a breath, he's like, wham, he's got another one for you. And you are just absolutely drowning. There's a, you know, I get a picture of, of, you underwater and you're like trying to get to the top of the water and there's just nowhere to be seen. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants you to take a little breath, have a little bit of hope and then pow, get you back down to the point where you're like, there is no hope. Like this is my fate. I did this, so I seal it, right? My fate is sealed. But what Jesus wants you to know is that there is, there's hope for you. And when we believe the lie of the enemy, when we believe his label, then we label ourselves, and we have sealed our own deal. I love the Bible. I hope you do too, <laughs> because there's really no woman who messed up more than Eve, right? And so if you want to get to uh, Genesis 3, we're going to read the scripture that ruined it for us all. <laughs> it's true. We, I'm a woman. We can make fun of this, okay? 
Thank God for his redeeming grace. (coughs) So, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he was asked, he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you're going to die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. He knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree. (coughs) She figured God was holding out on her, right? God's holding good stuff out on me. It's got to be better on the other side. And she wanted to have wisdom it would give her, so she took some fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it, too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So, the sued, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman. (laughs) You gave me who that, who gave me the fruit and I ate it. All her fault. Then the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all wild animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Because I will cause, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your heel and you will strike his heel. So I heard a message from Chris Valaton, who is one of the lead pastors at Bethel Red in California this week. And um, I just love what he said, because I don't think I've ever heard it before. The curse that came upon the woman <coughs> was that she would have pain in childbearing and that God would put enmity between her and her offspring and the certain, in the serpent. So what God did was he actually basically said, woman, you are going to be the enemy of the serpent. You are literally going to be Satan's enemy. And your offspring is going to be Satan's enemy. And do you know why Satan hates us? Spiritual moms, moms, and because I recognize that there are women here who want to have kids. And you know what? I want to speak to you that you are spiritual mothers, that you may actually have more kids than I even have, that, that you are raising up people and, and you are pouring into the lives of kids, and, and so I honor um, what you do. And so what God did was, or what Satan did was he, he um, or God put an enmity between Satan and the woman because she knew, or Satan knows, that she was going to raise up little spiritual men and women of God. She was going to raise up the next generation and she was going to train him 
or train them to hate Satan just as much as she hated Satan. And so there's gonna be little men of God, little warriors growing up, and there's gonna be just that enmity between them. Did you ever notice that a lot of um, intercessors and prayer warriors are women? I think there's something in our DNA, even because of this, that says, (coughs) I am not gonna let anything touch my kids. I am not going to let anything touch my husband. I'm not going to let anybody touch my... There's like a fierceness in women. I think that's the way God created us. We're nurturers. You know, like there's men and, and there's women and we are different. But we are... There's not one sex that is greater than another because we both represent part of who God is. And if you take away one part, if you, if you diminish one part, whether it is the feminist movement that diminished men, or whether it is a dominant male that diminishes women, if you diminish men or diminish women, you are actually saying, I diminish part of who God is. Because women and men equally represent a different side of who God is. And when we are representing God, we need to be balanced in that. And so I speak against the feminist movement that women should not be over and the only ones dominating. And I say to women that you have a destiny and that you need to fulfill that. But I speak to men and say that you have a destiny and that you need to rise up and to fulfill that. And on behalf of women, I apologize if we have dishonored you in any way. I apologize if we have pushed you down in any way. And I... I don't know if you know anything about Canadian Women of Destiny that we've started up in January, but Canadian Women of Destiny is actually a a women's movement that is trying to reverse the feminist movement that would say, you know what, we need to take our place in the home, we need to take our place, um, we need to take our place in society to repent and to stop dishonoring men, but we need to rise up in who God created us to be, to be nurturers, to be women that walk fully in, in honoring our kids and, and embracing them and praying for our, our men and praying for our kids and praying for the next generation and, and going forward boldly, but as we do that, as we honor men, that they rise up and that they're like, oh, I got a breath of fresh air. I just feel like God's called me to something more. And that men, you would rise up and you would be who God fully has called you to be, not feeling pressed down, but to be released. And so I just want to release that this morning, that, that God has called both equally men and women. And so we're, rep- we're, we're having Mother's Day today, so we're speaking to women, but this is a message to speak to you, because you have a destiny as well. Um, so when, when God cursed, or when there was a curse put on the woman and on Eve, was that it for women? Was it it? Or did God say, or, or did, was God a redeeming God in the Old Testament just like the New Testament? I just had an interesting conversation with somebody this week, and they're just like, I don't see the connection, um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because I see grace, and I see mercy, and I forgiveness in the New Testament, but I don't see that in the Old Testament. I think of women like, even the wife of Noah's Ark, grace, right? God's like, I'm going to wipe out the world. And they're like, I'm going to leave one family, and that was their family. I bet she raised up a family and prayed up a storm. I bet she was like the world's biggest intercessor at that point. I think of like Ruth 
and Naomi. And I'm going to whiz through these because I don't have time to go through the scriptures. So if you don't know who these are because you're a new Christian, write the names down and find them in the Bible. But there's Ruth and Naomi, grace, salvation, God's blessing. I think of the woman in the city of Jericho where the uh, spies went out. And they were spying out the land because God told them to take the land. And this one woman said, I will hide you. And then when you come up, I'm going to put the scarlet rope, right? That, and because of, of her act of obedience and love and grace for God, what happened? The whole place was destructed, but that woman was saved. Salvation, blessing, grace. And we get through the Bible and we see woman after woman that God has blessed and he's saved and he's given grace to. And then God said, you know what? I'm going to send Jesus to pay the price for every curse once and for all. And so Jesus died on the cross. And when you look back in Genesis 3 at uh, verse 15, he said, he will strike your head. That was Satan's head being striked by Jesus. And then he said, and you will strike his heel, which meant Satan's going to hurt Jesus. He's going to try to attack him. He's going to even try to attack you. He's going to do everything possible. But do you think that when your heel gets hurt, that God will heal it? Yes. Do you think that when your head gets crushed, you will be healed? That was supposed to be a no. Because like... When your skull gets crushed in and crushes your brain, you're done. This is so graphic. But this backfired on me. Sorry. Because it says, He will strike your heel, your, your head. So Jesus had dominion and he, and he conquered Satan. So, um, why though, if the price was paid on the cross, does it feel like the enemy wins so often or plays such havoc in our lives? Because we're all there, right? And like, seriously, will this just ever end? Satan knows that the only way he has power over us is to get us to believe his lies. And when we believe his lies, we begin to fear our future or the strongholds that's been wrapped around us. And what we fear, we focus on, is that right? It's obsessive. You're like, man, do I have just like obsessive thoughts? This is all that I can think about is these things that I'm just, you know, this happened. And all of a sudden we blow it up into like, you know, your husband's coming home late from work one day. And you're like, we don't think, oh, I bet he's out witnessing at a store somewhere. Do we usually say that? We're like, he must have gone in a car accident. And the later it goes on, it's like, I bet he's dead. And then the longer it goes, like, I'm going to just like figure out his, you know, his funeral arrangements. Because that's what fear does. We obsess and we focus on things and they become bigger. And then when we focus on things, we actually empower them in our lives. In Job, it says what you fear you is going to come. And it's going to come true. It's going to happen. Because of the fear that we're saying, Satan, I'm agreeing with you. Go ahead, have, make your day. We seal our destiny because we create a label for ourselves that says, I am unworthy. I'm unwanted. I'm unlovable. We're agreeing with the enemy. Um, I, I need a volunteer here. Uh, you want to come on? So we agree with the enemy and, and we begin to label ourselves. And because we know the sins and we're like, you know what, you're right, Satan. I, I did do those things. We say, I'm not good enough. 
and we say, I'm disqualified. God, I know that you had a destiny on my life and knew what it was, but, but I'm disqualified. It's done. I'm unworthy. You know what? If you only knew the things that I have done or the things that I deal with, the anxiety, the depression, if you only knew the thoughts that I had of, of suicide, whatever it is, then you know what? You, you'd call me unworthy too. You'd call me disqualified. Man, this sin, I am a sinner. I am labeled, I am a sinner. Can you stay here for a little while? You're good. Okay. <clears throat> and then Jesus, he's like, hey, I really want to like put, you know, I want to, you're my child and I just really wanted to put a crown on your head because you, like, I've got really good things for you to do and, and he tries to give it to him and, and she can't, yeah, she can't really, he, he can't get through to her and she doesn't actually have a hand to receive it because I believe that our identity, we need to receive. God can try all he wants to put a crown on us and it doesn't stay on us because I believe that we actually need to receive the identity that has, God has for us. But many of us have rejected the identity that God has for us because we've labeled ourselves. And the label that we have for ourselves is actually pushing God away. It's actually pushing others away. And it's not allowing God to say, hey, you are my child. I've got more for you. I was at somebody's house last week, and they were telling me about um, an Elijah list prophecy. It's just an email that gets sent out. Um, and it said, and I could not get it out of my head all week, and it said, you are remarkable. And we're all like, thank you, I am. Can you say, I am remarkable? And we're like, that's nice, isn't that? Yes, that's really great. That's what she even said. She's like, oh, that's sweet. But then she read it, and, I, and it went, whoa. And, and God said, no, you're not just remarkable. You're not sweet. You are remarkable. That whatever mark has been placed on you by sin, by whatever has been labeled by the enemy, or you've labeled yourself, or whatever sin you've done, you had a destiny from the beginning of time. God created you with a very purpose. And then we get this big label on us or this big mark that says disqualified. And God's saying he wants to remark you because you are remarkable. It's not a sealed deal. Whatever you've done is not, it's not eternal. God says, I have the final say and I'm remarking you. But you've got to let these things go so that you can take my identity. Here's what the prof some of the prophecies said. It just said, I feel that the Lord is releasing many powerful encounters with the Lord to remark multitudes of people. When I talk with people who have backslidden, I always ask them about the encounters that they've had with the Lord. So many times they will tell me that they have never truly encountered the Lord for themselves. When you have truly encountered the Lord, it marks you. You can never stray away from it. I want you to open up your Bibles to Mark, to John 4. You can stay if you like. <laughs> Pardon? You can stay. So, Jesus, so John 4. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard he, that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. So he left Judea and turned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that um, Jacob had or gave his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty, and, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Tell me, why is it that Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while the Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is not looking for those who worship him that way. Is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, for those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want to do with What do you want with her? And why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. This is like the perfect example of a woman, a person who met Jesus. And Jesus like said, I know who you are and it doesn't shock me. I see everything that you've ever done. I'm not surprised. I didn't run the other way. Actually, I came to you, and I want to give you something that's better than what you've got right now. Because you're being refreshed every day. Maybe you've got something in your life that you're like, this brings a little bit of refreshing. This this brings me a little bit of happiness. But God's like, that's good. But I have something better for you. Seek me. Take in my living water, and I'm going to mark you. And I'm going to give you a destiny. And do you know what happened? This woman, who was filled with shame all of a sudden was relabeled, and this is what God wants to do to you. Yeah, she met Jesus. You're good. 
God is good. <laughs> and he put a tear on your head, and she said, he said, you're righteous. Do you know what that means? I've paid for everything in full. Everything that you did, my blood paid for. Everything that was legally required. In the Old Testament, they had to actually kill and slaughter animals because blood needed to be shed for your sins. Jesus said, I'm the perfect lamb. I'm the perfect sacrifice. I label you righteous. He said, you're forgiven. He said, you're a child of God. You're no longer abandoned. You think you don't belong to anybody. You don't have a family. But you're a child of God. You belong to me. Not only that, you're not just like, you know, like a, a sitting child of God, bump on the log. You're actually anointed and anointed to do good works. You're, you are chosen. You are co-laborers with Christ. He says, <coughs> actually, if you want to flip ahead to um, the sayings that we've got, I am a child of God and... Um, he says, I have a destiny for you, and you have been set free. And I think that some of us focus on the lies of the enemy, and the, lie, the enemy lies, and he lies, and he labels us, and we, we hold these labels on. We label ourselves. But you know what we're focusing on? We're focusing on all the wrong things, and we're not focusing on anything right. We need to focus on the word of God. Can we say this together? And just declare it over yourself. Um, I think there's one behind that one. Let's say it together. Say, I am a child of God. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am confident that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. I am the salt and light of the earth. I have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I am God's worker. I am God's workmanship. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You may be, you can go. Thank you so much. <laughs> Give her a hand. <laughs> And when we take on this new label, sometimes we're like, what is going on? I just feel like the enemy's throwing everything at me. What does the Bible say? How do we get over that? Ephesians 6, a final word. And this is like, you know, if somebody's dying and they give you your final word, this is like, ooh, this is important. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, not in yours. Anybody ever try to do something with all their might and you're like, there's nothing in me that desires to do this? Be, be strong in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against the evil spirits of the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. After, then after the battle, you will be, still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Putting on the belt of truth. We do have this one up there. I think it's just back a couple. Um, 
Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the sheet of shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the helmet of salvation. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. James 5.16 says that the prayers of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And so what happens when we take on those labels is that Satan tells us, you're not righteous. Your prayers are going to fall off. They're not going to do anything. But when we get put in the blood of Jesus, when all of those things are, are taken off of us and we have the breastplate of righteousness that says paid in full, our prayers are powerful and effective. And we take on that stance of woman who is against the enemy, who says, you will not touch my child. You will not touch my husband. You will not touch my loved one. You will not touch me. I'm a mighty warrior, and we're going to take up the, the identity that God wants for us. And so I just want you to stand this morning. And I just wonder how many of you have... Um, taken on a label that you were not supposed to take on with every eye closed. Father God, I believe that there's destiny in this room. I believe that there's dreams that maybe have been left behind because we decided we're disqualified for those dreams. There's people in this room who said, I don't remember the last time that I, I had a dream or that I was hoping for something because... It's just been so long. In this season of life that I'm in, I just don't see any hope of, of getting out. So it's probably better if I don't get disappointed. So I'm just not going to hope and dream of anything. And I believe that God just wants to identify in you maybe a label that you put on yourself that put a hopelessness in you or made you say, I'm disqualified, I'm used up, I'm yesterday's, there's nothing in the future for me. And if you, if that's you and you have a label on yourself, I just want you to put your hand up and we're just going to pray for you this morning. <coughs> Father God, you see every hand in this room. And I thank you, God, that when we encounter you, you take those labels off of us. So Father God, right now, I want to declare over every person in this room that they are children of the living God. I want to declare over them that they are righteous, that, that they are forgiven, that they are not overlooked, not used up, that they are chosen, that they're co-laborers with you, Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And Father God, thank you, God, that your mercies are new every morning. God, we wake up with nothing on, no labels, and you, and we need to take on your labels every single morning to say and remind ourselves, I am yours. I am a child of God. I am loved. I am chosen. I have destiny. And so I speak destiny over every person who's got that, that label on them. And Father God, we just bind the lies of the enemy that would speak to them, curses and lies, and we say lies 
be silenced in Jesus' name. And we command every chain that has bound itself around their feet to be broken off with the truth of God's word. Father God, that you say that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And so, Father God, we shake off those labels. We take off those labels this morning in Jesus' name. We repent of believing them and holding them tight. And we let go. And that might seem a little bit scary because that's actually all we have ever known. We've had an identity of sick. We've had an identity of, well, I have anxiety. I, I, am, I am depressed. I am forgotten. I am I'm a sinner. Father, forgive us for, for finding an identity that was not your identity, that was never meant to be. You actually called us to be winners. You called us to be overcomers because of the blood of Jesus. And when we don't take that up, God, you must weep over that, that your death would be in vain. That there would be a generation ahead of us that needs hope. And if we don't give it to them when they mess up to say, oh my goodness, I have messed up too. And God has forgiven me, so he will forgive you. Stand on my shoulders so that you don't make the same mistakes. I believe that, God, you're raising up spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers in this room that would not disqualify themselves but would be intentional, strategic, that would, that would say, I am not going to let the lies of the enemy hold me back. But there is a lost and dying world out there that needs me, and I cannot let Satan win. Father, I pray that a fierceness, a warrior spirit would rise up within them that says, enough Today is the last moment I ever had that identity, and I will not receive that identity anymore. I will receive your identity because there's a, there's a next generation who needs me. Father, we choose this morning to take our stance as co-laborers with you. You can't save them all by, your, by yourself, God, because you actually created us to help you. So work through us. Work through our hands. Work through our feet. You actually didn't create hands and feet that were on the back of our head or on the back of our bodies that went backwards. You created everything in us facing forward so that we would march and move forward and not look backwards. So Father God, we choose to not look back, but to leave it behind because you don't see it anymore. When it was done on the cross, it was finished. It was finished. There was victory. It was done. And we choose not to look back, but to look forward. And so Father God... Give us strength. Father God, your word says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so, Father, may the strength of God come upon each one of us as I commission them and as you have already commissioned them to be your co-laborers. And so, God, help us. We ask for your help. We ask for your Holy Spirit. We ask for God encounters this week where we would meet you. We would meet with you and you would remark us. May it not be a sermon that we hear and forget, but may it be an encounter with you that changes us. May we dig into your word. May we see visions in the night. May we hear your word speaking so clearly to us. May you have your way.
in this place. In Jesus' name. Can we just have the um, workers come up to the front, the prayer team? And if this is you and you just want to pray through some stuff, uh, we just want to give you an opportunity. I know it's Mother's Day and there's like hams burning in the stove that these men have made for us. I know. I know. Or our reservation is waiting. But (coughs) there's nothing better than having a Mother's Day gift of a new identity. And so I just want you to give you an opportunity to um, loose some of those things. And so I'm just going to release you this morning. And if you want to come, you can. So Father God, I release. I just bless everyone here in Jesus' name. May you have your way in them. Father, may you do healing. And I just pray a blessing over every woman and every man in this room that you would just remark them in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.